we're talking about 500 gigawatts of generation potential. So that's about the same magnitude as all the nuclear capacity of the world today or all the hydro capacity. So it's really a huge opportunity. If we translate that into CO2 reduction, it's between one and two gigatons per year, depending on whether you replace uh, gas or coal in that calculation. So it's really a huge opportunity. You can power something like 500 million homes with this uh, technology. Welcome to the Mega Deals podcast. Patrick, it's great to have you. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. So me and Christopher in the studio and we have Patrick on link. So today we are hosting Patrick, who is the CEO of Core Power and is one of the 50 game changers in the sustainability report that Mega Deals and We Don't Have Time. From the Nordics from the Nordics, um, have put together. And so we're really, really pleased to have you here, Patrick, and we're going to talk a lot about your business as we go forward. But before we do that, I just wanted to set the scene. So can I add one thing? Sure. And they are particularly a game changer in how you deal with wave power. But Patrick will cover that more in depth soon. Yeah, great. Thanks for adding, Chris. So the top 50 Game Changer Sustainability Report with Mega Deals and We Don't Have Time. So why have we put this together? Well, we really don't have time to make the world a better place. And as there are many great innovations out there, it is only when those innovations actually uh, come to fruition. So when they scale, commercially scale, um, and get those products out there that they actually make the world a better place. And so there are two key factors that we're recognizing with these companies in the report. The first one is if and when they scale, their um, uh, significant impact on CO2 emissions. But the second is their focus on actually commercially scaling. We've also noticed that media is a bit fun. And this is very classic for a a new market. Like now, energy is not a new market, but there's quite quite a paradigm shift in the energy market thanks to the green wave. What we've seen is that media is focusing too much on two things, pure innovation and funding. And there is way too little focus on commercial scaling. And as you said, Bora, it's not until you start to deploy Mm. your innovations and bigger and bigger volumes that you gain the effect. And and this is very typical for an immature market. Uh, We saw the same in the 90s around IT. It was very innovation focused and investments went into innovations. And a lot of companies failed mm. because they didn't have the management teams that could run mm. the commercial operations around, which is equally tricky. I remember one guy in an earlier team that I took from R&D into marketing and sales, and he he was like, oh, Christopher, but I, th- I thought sales was simple. I was like, yeah, <laughs> if you want to sell subscriptions from a telecom operator, maybe it's simple. But uh, when you sell a pretty heavy power plant, it's, uh, it's not so it's simple. Hard. And so we're really happy to have you. We love your innovation. It's really a game changer. 
Um, and just to get us started, why don't you just introduce yourself, Patrick? Um, who are you? And tell us a little bit about how did you come up with the um, innovation idea around core power and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So, uh, well, uh, me as uh, Patrick, I guess I'm a uh, technology fanatic and a deep tech entrepreneur. I spent all of my life running uh, deep tech startups. Got my first idea when I graduated university and I've been starting companies and been running them since then. First in the semiconductor field and now in wave energy. So uh, Core Power uh, came around uh, actually by matchmaking uh, between me as entrepreneur and Stieg Lundbeck, who was a, a, a technical genius and the uh, inventor behind the, the technology there. So it's a nice story. He was a medical doctor, actually, completely non-trained in engineering, but he had this uh, fantastic technical vision where he just saw solutions that nobody else saw. And he has, and, he has, uh, he has so, done a lot of patents, right? He's got a huge list of patents. Absolutely. He is in the hundreds of, of patents. Mm -hmm. And there is at least three companies now, uh, clean tech companies in, in Sweden running based on his inventions. Right, it's right. called Power Ocean, Cascade Drives and Surf Cleaner uh, operating today. And there's been plenty of other uh, attempts as well on his various uh, technologies around. So a true technical genius with everything that comes with that. And uh, like, you know, Extremely bright, but also a, a somebody who, who focuses on one topic for a few seconds and then moves to the, the next topic. So he's just a, a machine gun of new ideas uh, spitting out. But on the other hand, that needs to be combined with somebody who can build systems and take it in a structured approach to market and start scaling it. So I think we've been complementing each other really well on, on that one. And actually, the matchmaking in between has happened by InnoEnergy. So they had just started their incubator and their European operations. Today, they're one of the largest investors in early stage deep mm. tech, clean mm. tech uh, companies. And they uh, did the matchmaking between us and put the first 100K Swedish in so we can start uh, developing the product. And since then, we've been going through five stages of uh, product development and, and demonstration. And we're now at the stage where we are putting together our first commercial scale machine we tried testing that in Sweden in our machine hall in southern Stockholm at the moment. And we're planning to install it in the ocean in Portugal together with EDP, the big energy company in Portugal, uh, towards the very end of this year. I have a few questions related to the energy system. Where in the big energy system does core power specifically, but more generally, uh, wave power complement wind, solar, heat power, nuclear, blah, 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 etc.? Yeah. So, I mean, in the energy transition now, going to 100% renewable uh, energy systems, because wind and solar play uh, huge roles, uh, it's a fantastic cost reduction we've been seeing over the last decades and is now competitive with their fossil alternatives in most places. And uh, the big challenge for the world now to go from perhaps 40, 50% uh, penetration of renewables to 100 is how do you balance demand to supply during all hours of the year. And the role wave energy can play here is to come in with a very complementary production profile, which is much more steady, much more flat and very predictable. And by combining that with wind and solar, wave energy can fill out the gaps. Essentially when it's not sunny and not windy, wave energy comes in and fills the gaps. So combining it with the right mix 
you can achieve an energy system that requires the least amount of overcapacity, the least amount of grid capacity, and the least amount of energy storage that delivers the lowest cost alternative to reach 100% renewables. So it's, you can see it as a balancing source, or you can view the ocean as one of the largest storage units of the world. And when, when, when I say that the ocean is a storage unit, what happens there is that you, let's take the Atlantic as an example. If you're in the West Coast of Europe, you have weather system uh, operating or blowing the winds uh, all the way over from the US, Canada, Greenland, everywhere around. And that might take two to three days of the winds blowing on the ocean. They're fetching up waves, which is then a process of concentrating and smoothing the power flow. And then in the end, when those waves hit the Atlantic coast of Europe, uh, there is a very little uh, correlation to the wind of right. the day. Could be completely uh, still, but still big waves. Exactly. So waves are always coming in. Mm. There's some level of variation, but mm. it's a lot less than right. wind and solar. Mm. So when you start combining them statistically, you, you have a system which pretty much balances itself. And then you need a small amount of extra storage and other things to meet a 100% renewable electricity system. But I mean, what is offering, it's a way to balance the electricity systems by the natural sources themselves. So you, you do the balancing at the generation stage instead of overproducing with one or two sources at certain times, then trying to store that energy right. and then trying to bring right. it back into the system at a later point in time. It's right. much more resource effective and cost effective to achieve the balancing at the earlier stage already at the, the time of generation of electricity. Yeah, like I totally agree. So most people don't think about it. They go, oh, wind and solar are really cheap. Yes, but they're really uneven or intermittent, as the energy market calls it. Uh, it delivers very, in a very uneven way. So uh, you need to uh, put in the storage cost mm. to look at the total calculation. Because and also they're not enough. No, no they're, they're not enough. Yeah. But, but if you, even if they would be enough, I mean, you, you can actually, if you take Sweden, for example, I made a calculation just for fun. Uh, it's actually on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I looked at the, how much forest we have and... By just taking the, the the inside of Sweden's forest, we could deploy 32 times the need of the Swedish energy today uh, by just deploying wind power on uh, not even offshore but on land. Uh, but it's it's so uneven. So we already have even in Sweden we have almost 30 percent hydropower, which is amazing for balancing. But even Sweden has regions where wind power now is blocked. It's not allowed to continue deploying it because the electricity system is so unstable that they have blocked it until 2030, which is horrible for the green transition. And that, that's what Patrick is pointing at. And I guess this, that, I mean, Sweden is uh, like Austria, Norway, and a few other countries. We do have a lot of hydropower, so we're less affected by it. But even Sweden has that problem of already facing instability in the grid. Right, Patrick? So, sorry, Chris, so you did that in your free time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You don't get out much, do you? <laughs> what, what do you say, Patrick? Is, what's your, you're probably looking at quite a few countries. This Swedish example, I guess you see that in more and more places now. Absolutely. And, and Sweden, we are well off from yeah. the starting point, as you mentioned, with all the hydro. Yeah. And we still have some uh, nuclear capacity, which mm. may, might go away. 
but it's a very stable system uh, mm. at, at its base. Mm. Look at uh, Denmark or Ireland, for instance, where you have very high penetration of, of wind turbines. Mm. The last thing you need right now is yet another wind turbine. Right. Mm. When it's windy, you have negative or zero cost mm. or negative electricity mm. prices, even mm. in some cases. And when it's not windy, you have huge price uh, spikes in the market. Uh, so adding yet another wind turbine that produces with the exact same timing right. doesn't help your system at right. all, actually. What you need is something which is producing in the gaps mm. when it's not windy right. in, in these places. And that's exactly the role that wave energy and other sources uh, such as tidal energy, geothermal, mm. mm-hmm. and other stable sources uh, can come in right. and balance. So it's also, as you say, Bora, we need more in total, but we also primarily need a mix of various sources mm. that have their own variability and that complement each other. So mm, if, you, right. if you do achieve the balancing already in the generation mix, surely that does arrive at yeah. the most reliable energy system and the lowest cost one. Uh, but I, well. I, I want to point out something because this is something I hear a lot. And you, you even mentioned Bora. So a lot of people think that the key of using lots of different uh, product types of elect- energy producers is because we don't we will not have enough that is actually not true we we do have we could cover the world with solar only or with wind only easily but as patrick is pointing out the point is that you need to have complementary cap- capabilities for example in the storage field uh, i i i'm a chairman in one of the storage companies so so you have storage that is suited for very fast uh, charging and discharging. You have storage which is made for very large volumes and they all they fit in different places and they fill different functions and and they also have different cost profile and different production profile. So so and, and since uh, uh, as most people actually don't know either, electricity is consumed the same millisecond as they are produced. so so it's a constant real-time system. As opposed to take milk for example, if I produce milk, I can store it for a few days even, uh, and then consume. So the the pre- precision in the production and the consumption is not ah yeah you can kind of calibrate it easily, relatively anyway. Whereas in the electricity system, you don't have that. There's no room for mistakes, and not just in the volume but also in the frequency. You need to calibrate the frequencies. It's a super tricky system. So so the the, the point of having complementary capabilities like, for example, the core power is coming with, is, is not the need to have more in energy. That is not the point. It's the complementary capabilities that are needed. It's all about when you produce yeah, the yeah. Uh, electricity these yeah, days. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. In, in, if you just look on the annual total amount, there is enough with just yeah. wind and solar. Yeah, yeah, there is. But when you look at the time series of each hour over the yeah, year, it's not. that's where you get into the complexity. Right. And, and, and energy storage, I mean, batteries have been coming down a lot in cost, but it works well for two hours up to four hours and can be stretched to six hours. Uh, but storage solutions to do the longer periods of multiple days to weeks they don't really exist today, at least not in a commercial state. There's a lot of research going on there as well. But it's hard to see how that can ever be more competitive than just producing the electricity when it's needed from the first point. I mean, that's always going to be the most effective. Well, uh, one last geeky question. So what kind of uh, what kind of numbers do you predict? In the electricity world, we talk a lot about levelized cost of energy. So 
the cost of producing a megawatt hour or a kilowatt hour, uh, what what do you predict you will, I, I guess you will reduce that over time, but what's the kind of, in a, well, I don't know, five years time, what do you expect to have as a, as a levelized cost of electricity? Around 2030, where we aim to have deployed 600 megawatts into the market, we will be at around 60, 65 euros per megawatt hour, which means that with the value of the electricity being produced at the right time, you're competitive with wind and solar at that level in most markets. And then after a few gigawatts deployed, we will be somewhere between 30 and 40 euros per megawatt hour. And then we are really, really competitive. Wind and solar without storage are often cheaper than that. But as we pointed out earlier, that's not the point. The point is what happens when they're not active. And then this is really competitive because wind and solar need to factor in storage. You need to factor in storage. You need to factor in the overall grid capacity Mm -hmm. and and the expansion of that. And yes, the size of the energy system as well. If you think about it, if you produce your annual amount of energy during only half of the year, right. you then need twice as much mm-hmm. generation capacity mm-hmm. as if you in, in megawatts or gigawatts as if you had produced it continuously. Right. So, so it's the amount of overcapacity in its generation, the amount of overcapacity in transmission, and the amount of storage that you reduce by producing electricity when it's consumed rather than in the times when it's right. not needed. But you're also placing your equipment in the ocean near wind parks, right? Because then you can use the same cable. Exactly. So quite a few customers are looking at farms to combine, especially floating wind, which is a big trend now that you start putting floating foundations out with wind turbines and our wave energy arrays. And then making use of the complementary production profiles so that you can combine the power flow of the two into the same export cable uh, that means that you can sell a product which is more uniform, so less variability at a higher price in average, and that you can reduce the capex uh, and amortize the investment in the export infrastructure between the, the two technologies, uh, floating wind and wave in this case. So that's a, a huge topic in, in many places. We're working on farms like that in Ireland, in the US, mm. in Portugal, uh, with various customers. So let's shift gears uh, into into your innovation. Because something I have often heard, and I guess you too, Patrick, is that wave energy isn't working because the, the equipment is breaking down after less than a year or a few years. And and you've you've made some really great innovations in that field. You, you you've used a some kind of heart function instead of the classical. I mean, there's a variety of of, of wave power solutions out there. Can you talk us through both? your type of wave power uh, compared to other types of wave power, but also specifically your innovation and, and why why it's creating greater output and, and higher uh, durability. Well, uh, that is true. The challenge for wave energy has always been to survive the toughest storms at the same time produce enough electricity compared to the size and the cost of equipment to make mm. it a viable uh, mm. business case. Mm. And lots of devices historically have either broken down in storms or they have just not produced enough compared to their size and cost, and thereby the business case hasn't worked. Right. Uh, we have dramatically changed that picture by introducing a few new inventions into wave energy. The first one, and possibly most important one, is that our devices are designed to be naturally 
detuned or protected for storm waves. So if you would ever lose the control system or your grid connection and so on, the device always falls back in its natural state, which is the protected transparent state. So in, in, in this state, the devices, they don't react to mm. incoming waves. They just sit there in the ocean and they let the big waves in the storm sweep Pass. by yeah. without uh, reacting to it. Mm-hmm. You, you can compare it to a radio receiver, radio transmitter. It's like you're, you're trying to receive on a channel where there's no broadcasting or where you're, the ocean is broadcasting. Mm. We don't receive on our radio receiver. It, mm. It's a frequency thing. Mm-hmm. But in in practice, does it mean that your device along the axis is released, so it kind of bumps up and down without without? Yeah, uh, maybe we should also say so. So our device, it's a floating buoy, yeah. which is uh, tethered to the seabed, and we use a pre-tensioned mooring system, so a single leg mooring that goes down and ties it to the seabed, and then it's oscillating up and down and side to side in an elliptic motion, and we translate that motion into uh, electricity. Uh, and what it does in the survival mode, as you're describing here, it is highly damped, uh, meaning it can't move too much up and down. But most importantly, it wants to move uh, much faster than any of the waves in the ocean. And when, when you're trying to, when you have a system which is tuned to the wrong frequency, it doesn't respond to the waves coming in. So that's why it's just sitting there and it's not moving to the side, really. It's just letting the waves by. It's also not moving up and down. It's just letting the waves pass by. Right. And that, of course, makes it a useless wave energy converter because we don't absorb energy uh, much in this uh, state. In that state, yeah. So, what, yeah. so in, in regular wave conditions, we then apply advanced phase control technology. And that's a method to put the buoy into optimal timing with each incoming wave. So with it, the, the machine then automatically measures the waves and says, uh, and it's only a few hours of the year where we go into this protection mode. We run up to seven and a half meter waves without, okay. oh, wow. uh, in, in regular oh, I would have thought it was way off more often. Okay. So no, a few, no, no, a few no. hours just per a, year. Okay. It's just a few hours per year, but it's very important to mm. have that protection mm. mechanism in those few mm. hours because otherwise the forces and the loads that we would have had to design the equipment mm. to survive would have been a lot larger mm-hmm. and that would have driven the cost and, and the size and the cost of the equipment uh, a lot. But in regular wave conditions, we then apply this phase control technology that puts the buoy into optimal timing with each incoming wave. Mm. So that then strongly amplifies the motion and thereby the power capture. So in a one meter wave, our buoy might be moving three meters up and down. So it's and like, average, a bit like resonance. It is exactly like resonance. It's mm. like if you're uh, pushing a, a child on a swing on the mm. playground, mm-hmm. if you give the push on the wrong time, of yeah. course, there's no swinging happening. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you push it just in the right time right. in mm. each cycle, you get a, a big amplification right. on it. It's, right. it's similar to that. So it's getting the forces from the waves into optimal timing. So your computer system each. inside each, each boy is, is hitting that timing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And th- this is based on like 40 years of hydrodynamic research from mm-hmm. the NTNU mm-hmm. in Trondheim, the Technical mm-hmm. University in mm-hmm. Trondheim. And uh, Professor Falnes, de Gure in hydrodynamics have established this methods of phase control. Mm-hmm. And then Jürgen Hals, who is the inventor, who we then combined together with Steve Lundbeck's ideas. Right. Uh, he invented something called the, the wave spring which is this control technology that we're using in our uh, devices. So Jürgen Hals is today our lead scientist in mm-hmm. Warpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have actually, over time, 
combined multiple inventors and multiple ideas into mm. the system that we're having. And we've been going down this stepwise approach. So you're not using, you, you're not falling victim of not invented here. No, absolutely not. We're always trying to question everything. Do we really have the best system that we could possibly right. have? Right. Apply systems engineering and and uh, go through every aspect of it in each generation. Uh, and uh, we've taken quite big steps in getting to the product that we have today in, in changing from where we started. Um, yeah. Okay, so if I can just interrupt you two geeks for a minute, and we just <laughs> come back to uh, us mortals over here, and probably many of our listeners, um, uh, two things I just want to ask for, for 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 me to better understand. The first one is: so, from what you just explained, how does that turn then into electricity? So the boy is moving up and down and mm. side to side in elliptic motion, and that makes a linear motion inside yep. the machine. We there have a uh, gearbox. That translate that into rotation, mm. and then we have standard uh, generators and power electronics okay. who convert that into electricity, and then we export it through a cable which comes out at the bottom okay. at, on the seabed. Cool. And, a, and a, just a really dumb comment: a generator is actually a reversed electric engine. So, uh, if you look, we do at... borrow a lot of technology from yeah. uh, automotive. Actually, yeah. our yeah. Generators are also used to electrify big uh, off-highway equipment yeah, yeah. in other industries today. Cool. So okay, and so uh, again, back to the to the layman here, uh, us simple folks. So who is your customer? So our customers are uh, big energy companies, typically utilities, or more and more becoming oil and gas companies as well, who are uh, starting to move into offshore renewables. So they, our customers are the ones who, who build and operate the wave farms. And Coopar, we are an equipment supplier, mm. OEM. So we offer the wave energy converters themselves, the anchoring technology, the electrical connectivity system for how you connect and collect the electricity from our arrays of devices mm. into a common uh, grid point. So essentially a turnkey supplier of a wave energy array which is then plug and play compatible with the electrical infrastructure of offshore wind farms. That's what we're offering our customers. And they are then the developers of the projects. Our customers are the ones who go around the world searching for the best sites, mm. going through the site development uh, process of applying for the permits and uh, doing the financing of the farm and then finally placing an order to us. And then we supply the equipment and have it installed for them. Uh, we commission it and hand it over to the customer who then operate it. In some cases, we're also offering operations and maintenance contracts mm. so that we operate and maintain oh, right. the okay. equipment for them. Mm. Got it. And so wh why are they why are they now starting to buy wave energy? Well, the, the big driver for the, the hugely increasing interest that we're seeing in wave energy these uh, times now, I think number one is that uh, trust is coming back to the sector. Mm. The kind of reliability and performance we've been showing over the recent years is convincing. People seeing that wave energy is actually starting to work. There is commercial scale, reliable products coming to market in okay. the next years. So that's the, the there's always been a, a, a big like interest in a general level for wave energy. It just hasn't worked yep. uh, previously. But now the, the main driver, their need, is the balance, the, cool. their uh, portfolio, to get to a generation asset that can produce electricity also at times where there is a good price in the market. Yep. As we talked about before, yep. 
when you have a wind-dominated market or any market dominating one technology that yep. has an intermittent profile, you, it's hard to make money because when you produce, there is uh, no value to the electricity. Yep. So the, the customers are looking for new assets that can produce uh, electricity where the electricity is worth more. Cool. So mm. you can have a product that has a higher value. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, so one final question before we shift gears. If you were to um, scale and globally deploy your solution, um, what impact would you have on CO2 emissions? And, and remember to explain this in a way that us simple folks understand. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so wave energy, it is the largest untapped source of clean energy yeah. out there today. So we're talking about 500 gigawatts of generation potential. So that's about the same magnitude as all the nuclear capacity of the world today or wow. all the hydro capacity. So it's really a huge opportunity. If we translate that into CO2 reduction, it's between one and two gigatons per year, depending on whether you replace uh, gas or coal in that calculation. Uh, so it's really a huge opportunity. You can power something like 500 million homes uh, well, with 500 this, million uh, homes, that, that's, that's wow. huge. So so, and, and how many people do you calculate in, in a home? Because 500 million inhabitants, is that EU population? The US is 250 million. Exactly, exactly. So uh, they were look, looking at a typical household with on the global level or in the Western world that consumes around one kilowatt hour in average. In Sweden or in Scandinavia, we're actually consuming quite a bit more in the US as well, but that's an average. So, uh, so give and take at least bigger than the whole of the EU. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, okay. So there, there are 750 million inhabitants approximately in the EU and 500 million homes is probably more than 750 mm. exactly. million people. So that gives some perspective. Definitely more than the EU. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's, yeah. it's, very, it's very reasonable that EU can get somewhere between 10 and 20% of its total electricity right, right. from the coastlines of the Atlantic arc. So we're starting up in, in Norway, going over... Ireland, Scotland, uh, Cornwall, and then down over France, Spain, Portugal. These are the key markets for wave energy in Europe. And right. that alone, in, in those particular countries, you can have a much higher penetration. But on the EU level, certainly more than 10%, up towards 20% is, is uh, achievable. So Austria is not the number one country? <laughs> Austria is not the number one. And if you look at us here in Sweden, by the way, in, in Scandinavia, that's an interesting uh, aspect, just making that comment as well. There's a lot of discussion now in Sweden about how we're going to handle all the big consumers getting added into the industry in the north of, of Sweden. Uh, nuclear is shutting down over time because not being competitive, at least with the current safety rules. And uh, with that, there's a huge opportunity to put wave energy along the Norwegian coast. So just Norway itself on the coast can easily generate 50 to 60 terawatt hours of uh, wave energy electricity, which would complement perfectly with the wind energy of Scandinavia. And it's made in a way where it's visually benign. You don't disturb anybody by putting them out in the ocean. Uh, you don't have any, any noise pollution with it. You don't destroy any forests or so doing it. You're actually having typically a positive biodiversity effect when you install like uh, artificial reefs in the ocean around the uh, anchor points. It, you, you do protected areas where people can't trawl and go fishing. And, and it has been, in many cases, studied a positive uh, 
biological effect on that. So it, it's a much more likable approach uh, where public opinion usually is much more positive than uh, lots of more uh, on-land wind, which probably is the biggest challenge to, to, to dramatically increase the amount of on-land wind in Scandinavia is just not in my backyard is probably the biggest challenge overall. So one part of this obviously is lifting your great innovation and and the impact it would have if it commercially scales um, on our planet. Uh, But the other key point that we obviously want to emphasize as, as a game changer here in the Nordics is your focus and ability to actually commercially scale, right? And and this is, of course, where the mega deals uh, discipline operates. And we see two key challenges in general with many of these sustainability um, innovations. One of them is that it tends to be a new innovation that the world doesn't know about. So it's how do you how do you educate the world on something that they don't know about? But then the other piece is it it it's, tends to be very challenging to. Um, to sell and market these innovations into very complex ecosystems. So it tends to be kind of matrices, cubes, cross-functional teams, cross-geography. Many organizations even. Many different types of organizations. So what we call the, it, it's a very messy ecosystem of stakeholders that you need to influence yeah. and you're influencing them with an innovation that's completely new and they don't know about. Right. So this makes the hurdle of actually commercially scaling and getting the product out there really, really hard. So we'd like to talk about this a little bit now, Patrick. And, and maybe the first area we could hone in on is as we talk about the ecosystem and the different types of organizations and stakeholders involved in the deal, talk about who are they in your in your deal um, and, and how are you um, looking to actually influence them and and um get them on board. Yes. So, I mean, this is, of course, it is a very complex uh, sales process, which is definitely more marketing and communication and positioning than sales uh, in in its classical meaning. Uh, And getting wave energy into a large deployment means starting very much on a actually political level of making sure that wave energy gets into the roadmaps of uh, various countries you have the NECP plans of each European country, which is the plan for how much new renewable technology each country is, is planning to commit to, mm. uh, to meet the Paris goals. And it's starting to, to make sure that wave energy gets onto the radar, mm. making sure that it gets onto uh, the minds of policymakers, mm. authorities, decision makers on a high level, uh, both on the customer side and on the supply chain side, so that you can build the momentum needed to start delivering this on scale. And of course, the first thing there is to make sure that people get convinced that, yes, wave energy is now working. It's an actual solution, which both has a huge opportunity, but is also a relatively safe bet. There is enough evidence now that it's working on a a large Mm. scale and it's reliable technology. And so we're quite active in various organizations such as Ocean Energy Europe, where we spend quite a bit of efforts of uh, trying to communicate and educate about ocean energy, both wave and tidal, mm. and uh, to make sure that enough policymakers, both in Brussels and in the various uh, countries in the EU, uh, gets the latest information, gets the updates of what's actually going on mm. in the sector. Uh, you got now, in the, within the next two to three years, you got like a handful of equipment suppliers who's actually coming with new generation of reliable competitive mm. equipment into the market. 
primarily in, in, in tidal energy. There's a few uh, just one or two years ahead of us and then wave energy coming in the next three to four years with completely type certified bankable technology and, and getting everybody updated and aware of that it's one of our uh, key challenges in, in getting this into the market. So just to summarize, what I'm hearing in there from an ecosystem perspective is we're talking about different governments, right, in many in different countries, right? And we know how difficult that is. Just... Probably also local governments or, I mean, like Absolutely. regional, local governments, regional uh, or mu- even municipality level, I guess. Absolutely. So, and you, especially when you start coming down towards the uh, permitting processes right. and, mm. and getting, getting uh, it... Uh, permitted to install you need a seabed lease to yeah. actually mm. lease the space in the ocean yeah, and that's with the municipality all, probably it, they are often very involved and it's very important to to build buy-in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. public acceptance right. in the local communities right. take in northern portugal we are now operating mm. where we now have a 10-year license to install devices in the ocean we spent quite a bit of efforts on making sure that the local municipality is well informed that people right. are aware of what we're doing. Right. Informing there's been electronic newsletters sent out. There's mm. been actually in the mailboxes of people informing about our project and what's going on and how we're trying to get wave energy proven into the market mm. to make sure that people have information. Because when you don't inform people enough, there's always certain amount of people who's going to suspect that there's something uh, bad or strange going on. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Trying to be very transparent and very um, yeah. inform well of what's going on. There are two things that very often are, I mean, they're they're totally remembered by people who are in the mega deal space, but very often not understood by others. And that is that you're not only selling to the front end, you're not only selling to the customer and the customer's associated companies and advisors, et cetera, but you're also selling one, if you're a bigger corporation, you're selling, Patrick doesn't have that problem because they're small enough for him and the team to call the shots. But if you're in an Ericsson, selling to your internal, but getting the internal buying mm. is equally hard as getting the customer buying. And then you have a third type of buy-in, which totally Patrick and the guys are in, which is to convince the subcontractors to, to be ready for the big orders because they are also having priority gains mm. on their end. So if they're not... If they're not up to speed and and committed and um, filled with energy when it's the timing is right, it fails. Or what do you say, Patrick? Absolutely. So I mean, there's a lot of visionary sales also to our supply chain in order to attract the tier one partners who really have the capacity to scale and to mm. deliver this at the cost level and the reliability that mm. we need it. And in the right timing. Uh, and exactly with the right timing. So mm. if we're looking at from where we are now. 2021 in 2024 we need to be ready to start shipping uh, units in volume to customers and mm-hmm. by 2030 we need to be able to ship in thousands of units right right per year to mm-hmm. have proven i mean gigawatt scale mm-hmm. farm mm-hmm. Uh, deployment capacity by that uh, we also we, we need the supply chain partners to start investing in capacity and specific equipment in in certain cases and and setups and jig in their manufacturing to to scale up also on the customer side, it usually takes three to four, sometimes five years from once you identify a site for a new project until you have it fully developed, constanted, and you can make a final investment decision. So our big sales efforts and communication efforts on the customer side is to make them feel comfortable enough to start investing the millions of euros 
needed to actually develop the sites right. and the project right. development. Now, while we are completing the final proof points of the technology to get to type certification mm. and be fully bankable, which right. we aim to be at in 2024. Mm. So that's just three years remaining. Mm. Yeah. And if we had our customers starting to develop their sites and the projects at that time, then we would be looking at a delay of three yeah, yeah, to yeah. four years yeah, you need before to, um, wave energy can be deployed. So parallel that tracks. Happen in parallel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when mm. I asked you the question about ecosystem, I love the way you actually didn't talk about core power. You talked about selling the category of wave energy. You kept saying... Uh, Your type of wave energy. Exactly, yeah. wave energy, wave energy. So that's the, that's the other challenge, of course, with, with doing this. It's not just about selling you as a solution. It's about selling the whole category of why um, there should be more investment, more lobbying around using um, wave energy, right? So, it, and that makes it even more tricky because it's first the category, but then it's also about, you know, you as a business and the subcategory that you represent, right? There's a lot of lobbying around that. Absolutely. And we spend most of our efforts on educating, communicating around ocean energy exactly. as the top category. Yeah. And then wave energy specifically, where yeah. we operating, uh, ocean energy, including tidal energy and wave energy, okay. yeah. uh, typically. And then within wave energy, of course, you have various subdomains, various types yeah. of devices for offshore deployment versus right. nearshore right. Uh, devices. Yeah. And then there's a few different technical categories within even offshore devices as we yeah. are. Mm. Um, but but it's not so important in, in our view uh, if enough customers and enough policymakers get uh, the opportunity of wave energy overall. Mm. We are one, the leading supplier yeah, well or one of the very leading suppliers yeah. today. So the most important for us is that the wave energy as a sector is getting... Uh, accepted and start scaling to become really successful. So so in any mega deals business, uh, there is a very high dependency of something we call rainmakers. And and your type of business is kind of on the bell curve in complexity. You're on the far right, so you're highly complex. Uh, you must face, so this is a claim without knowing the answer, but I guess you're facing high dependencies on yourself and very few others. So if if uh, if we would take away the five most important people, the business would not be very successful, uh, especially dealing with this ecosystem, which, uh, which is typically very dependent on very few highly qualified people. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, of course, in getting success in these customer uh, processes is very much related to credibility and really deeply understanding uh, the challenges and the opportunities that the customer has. And in in our case and in the sector overall, I think it's a handful of people who have, uh, I mean, that insight and that can speak to customers in a way that um, you can show that you understand their actual business and their pains and their opportunities. Uh, so yes, it's a few of us in Copar who, who spend the time and also really making sure that we are updated and educated on the energy system overall. Mm -hmm. What are the alternatives mm -hmm. to wave energy? What mm -hmm. could they do if our customers would not go down right. the path of, of wave energy to really know the landscape and, uh, and, and the system well? I, we I, want to, I want to compliment you on, on something. So we, we're looking, we're working with a lot of companies and some of them are really, really successful companies. 
Uh, and one of the things we often help out with is to create what we call the messaging architecture. And one piece of it is what we call, and I mean, you've been part of these exercises even, the fundamental messaging. And the way Core Power, you and the team have deployed the way of talking through the layers in the fundamental messaging is very impressive. I mean, we can't display the slides here in, in this podcast, but you, you've really you've really nailed it and probably even without our interference even. So so I'm really impressed by that, Patrick. But Patrick, a lot. <laughs> but Patrick, you went, you did went through our workshop, so I, I know that it's all based on the messaging that we did in the <laughs> no, workshop. I think they actually had obviously, it. obviously, we learned everything in the Megadeals <laughs> workshop. No, I think you had no, it. No, please us, don't you. take. Come on, you've got to <laughs> give us a little bit of credit. Come on, come on. But it's uh, the point is uh, the point is that it's unusual. Way too many companies. Uh, 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 you've totally nailed this, yeah. Patrick. Way too many companies are too quickly jumping from. Absolutely. Oh, this is the challenge, and this is how we solve it yeah. with our solution. But most of the clients are sitting with the big problem, the big, the big questions. Is this even the right category? Exactly. And as you said, you have you have uh, the whole energy system with wind, uh, uh, hydro, heat, solar, etc., nuclear, and then you have a very ocean, any kind of ocean-related power, and then you have wave power under that. And under wave power, you have even different kinds. Of, so you have even even more layers. You have like category, subcategory, and sub subcategory, as we would call mm. it in our geeky vocabulary. And most of the clients are spending time on those levels. And that takes up most of the, to- especially the top decision makers' time. Then once you've honed in on the right, in your case, sub-subcategory, which would be you and your heart construction type of wave power solution, then it goes into all the nitty-gritty stuff, functions and features and all that kind of stuff. But but that happens Quite late. Absolutely. I, I believe a lot in what you're using there in the Megadeals methodology and, and so on, on making sure that you fully understand the system and the alternatives for right. customers. And, uh, I think there's one think one other beauty of, of, of having to think like that is that you're training the leadership, the product people, the salespeople, the marketing people to understand a much bigger picture it's it's easy to talk about the solution and, and answer some some like objections around it, but to be an, an an ideal deal maker, you need to understand all the layers. Otherwise, you're kind of disqualified because the C-suite, so the top executives in in the energy companies in the utilities you're talking to, they are sitting with the big questions, and to be able to even talk to them, you need to be able to talk about the big questions. Otherwise, they don't they're not listening. They just yeah talk to Steven. He's on the tech department uh, floor minus ten. Talk to him. <laughs> but also to your point, Patrick, yeah, and to Chris's point, if you don't actually do the lobbying and the selling around your category as 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 ocean energy, right, ocean power, then you're losing deals and you're losing investments to other type of energy categories, right? And then you could say, well, well, we didn't really lose the deal, or we didn't lose, but yes, you did. They just chose another type of uh, yeah, they went another direction. So energy power this. to go yeah. with. So that's why your point of actually really selling your your category is incredibly important. And then to your point, once you've sold your category, it's then about okay, choose wave, <laughs> uh, right? Once you've chosen um, ocean energy. Absolutely, yeah. And but I would say that if I look back five years on our slide decks, we were much more product oriented mm. in our communication at that time. I think we've learned over the time mm. that 
we must having a systems approach and talk about the bigger topics for mm-hmm. our customers. Right. That's how we get in and that's how we make ourselves relevant. Mm. So I think we have also transformed over, mm. over the years right. uh, towards how we are communicating and interacting. Today. Right. That's a good point. Okay, great. So Patrick, it's really inspiring listening to you. Um, now the listeners can't see you. We can see you on the link. So not only they can hear the passion coming out of your voice, but we can see the passion uh, coming out of your eyes. So it's really inspiring listening to you talk I think about. You're, I think you're a combination of well-grounded, deeply knowledgeable, but also visionary yeah. leader. Like the, that combination is really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. It's really exciting and inspiring listening to you. So thank you for coming on and uh, thank you for sharing your insights. This has been a very um, inspiring discussion. I'm totally pumped up. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm core powered up. I'm core powered up. I'm just blushing over here. (laughs) That's the good thing about the podcast. They can't see it. Uh, So so, so we're going to wrap up. Is there any any final comments anyone wants to make before we say thank you and goodbye? Well, I just uh, want uh, Patrick and the team and Core Power to succeed really well. I mean, they they have a huge impact on on society Absolutely. if their complete journey works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I totally keep my fingers crossed for that. And I, I know you have the right team in place and the great technology backing it. Yeah, we're going to be following you um, uh, with pom-poms on the side, cheerleading you on. Um, it's going to be so exciting to follow your journey. Patrick, thank you so much again for joining us today from Chris and I. Thanks. Always very interesting to talk to you guys. Uh, always a lot of good ways to looking at the world. So uh, much appreciated. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.